Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Previously on Unwritten. This is why I shouldn't be allowed to talk to human beings. Like ever. Just lock me up in a people room. No more human interaction for Elaine. I'm going to expose him for the monster he really is. Through my thesis. At my presentation. Told to the audience. Printed and bound in the university library. We're always here. We're always giving and we're always hoping that one day you'll start giving back, but you don't. And maybe you can't, and it's exhausting. She opens the door to Lita's room. The room is almost empty. Distant streetlights cast the uncovered mattress in a yellow light that somehow seems too bright for the night. Elaine crawls onto Lita's old bed. She slowly falls asleep without even a pillow to cushion her head. The first rays of morning sun pierce the darkness of Elaine's bedroom. The bed is empty, the blanket missing. A beam of sunlight highlights dust as it slowly pirouettes in the air. In the living room, the emerging light illuminates Lita's painting. The acrobat swirls in the cream, a scar on the coffee that will neither absorb nor fade, locked in the moment of the spiral. In the kitchen, the sunlight glints off the bottom of the upended coffee can where Lita once hid her journal. The brown leather book, still curled from months of being rolled in the coffee can, sits beside it. The pages are filled with Lita's meticulous details and Elaine's increasingly erratic annotations. The broken strap of Lita's dress is stuffed into the journal like a bookmark. In Lita's room, the sun peeks through the edge of the curtain. It plays across the floor beside the bed. Elaine sleeps on Lita's mattress, wrapped in her blanket. Her eyes are squeezed tightly shut, and she grimaces and winces, locked in the throes of a nightmare. The light spills from around the curtains, filling the corners of the room. It creeps slowly inward, encircling the bed, until only Elaine still lies in shadow. Got it all. It's just unwritten, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition, with these words I can't play around. Walking on a wire, without a name, ending up alone. It hasn't happened yet. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, 
Zach Duncan, Adrian Miller, and I'm Sean Gunther. Episode 7, Double Helix. Written by Tavis Taylor. Directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring David Gaylor, Chris Petrie, Stephen Kallenberg, Sarah Amar, Sandy Coleman, and Emily Kallenberg. In Leader's Room, Elaine awakens from her nightmare suddenly and jerks up to a sitting position. Lita! Elaine looks around from Lita's bed, disoriented. She relaxes slightly when she realizes she was dreaming. Hemingway stands by the window, opens the curtains, and a beam of sunlight hits Elaine. She groans. Rise and shine! Elaine rolls over to look at Hemingway. You're insufferable. Just let me sleep. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and... Why don't you let a woman create her own agenda? Wise. Save it. Elaine gets out of bed and traipses across the apartment to her room. She pulls on a pair of jeans from the floor and then enters the bathroom. Hemingway walks over and leans against the door jamb as she brushes her teeth. Lack of sleep will take a toll on your mental and emotional health. Elaine ignores him as she finishes brushing her teeth. Hemingway produces a flask from his pocket. You're kidding, right? Just a little warmth to wake up the mind. Helps me start my day. Am I writing, for that matter? He takes a swig and holds out the flask to Elaine. She ignores his offer and steps past him into her room. Hey, don't slight the bottle. I really don't have time for this. As she walks across the room, she sees Freud standing by the window. Been having nightmares, have we? Need any interpreting? Oh, good God. Sigmund Freud? And you are? Come on, really? We were different times, but there was some overlap. Nothing good can come of this. You do strike some resemblance. You remind me of my uncle. He was always closer to my mother than my father was. Yes, I see it. This is the worst possible time. It's too much. You must have read A Farewell to Arms. It does ring a bell. For whom the bell tolls? Uh, No, I said it rings a bell. I need to get the hell out of here. Elaine makes a beeline for her closet and opens the door. She jumps, coming face to face with Dracula. Want me to kill them? Dracula, stop lurking in my closet! Hemingway makes a face. Dracula? What a terribly sensational novel. I agree. Stoker's best work and still not much of a feat. I am one of the most recognizable characters in history. He does make a good case for himself. Who? Stalker? Elaine looks at Dracula, then back at Hemingway and Freud. She points directly to Dracula. No, Dracula. Elaine, are you sure you don't need a drink? Maybe to calm your nerves. Just shut up, Ernest. Elaine walks over to the nightstand, grabs her phone, and walks back to the closet, shutting herself inside. Her phone lights up her face as she sits in the corner. It shows no new messages. Come on, Chelsea. Give me something to work with. Give you something to work with? You're still here? I came in here to be alone for once. You are alone. You know this. Elaine scrolls through old messages from Chelsea. I was a jerk. I get that. But I think I have a right to be angry. She never wanted to believe me about Gerald. Why would I make this stuff up? Perhaps she thinks you're unstable, upset, unhinged. Many do think that, I'm sure. I'm not unstable. She couldn't think that. 
She's just turning a blind eye to Gerald because it's easier. It's easier not to care. And is there a reason she should be as invested as you are in your writing? Yes, because what I'm writing about affects her. It affects everyone. Maybe she has her own problems to deal with. Sure, we all have our own problems. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think she's mad that something more important is taking precedence over the time I could be spending with her. Darling, what did you expect from her? You've been sucking her dry for months. How could she have anything left? Are you saying I've been cruel to her? It doesn't take the icon of horror and evil and, well, the entire face of fiction, honestly, to see that you've been completely indifferent to what might matter to Chelsea. But she's been equally indifferent to me. She can never just listen. It's always on to the next thing with her. Don't be upset, Elaine. Don't worry, Elaine. Just come to Splendor and forget about everything else, Elaine. My thesis is important to me. To her, my work is always just... like a cute hobby. Ah, but you are forgetting who stormed into the police department after Lida's death to take you home. You are forgetting who sat by your side at the funeral. Who had a smoothie ready for you at four in the morning after the weekend at your parents... And when have you ever gone out of your way to be there for her? I... At least I have the courtesy to get it over with quickly. Oh, please, you're undead. You don't even have feelings. Sure, I like to see the fear in their eyes first, but it's short-lived, just like them. Elaine is disgusted. You like their fear because it makes you feel powerful. Why, of course. And yet it was a woman who tracked you down. Ah, yes, Mina. She was far too proactive in her research, far too intelligent. So I fed her my blood. How romantic. To gain control of her mind. I had a lot at stake, you see. Dracula grimaces. Oh, terrible weapon, the stake. So you must understand, I needed her under my trance. You and Gerald would make great friends. He's too entitled for my taste. And you are too entitled for my taste. Both of you. Why do you think women are disposable? I wouldn't say disposable. Useful is a more appropriate term. Oh, sure. Useful. For your needs and your wants and always yours, never hers. Gerald did not push Lida off the balcony, you know. Not physically. Yet you were the one closest to her. In proximity, I mean, in the apartment. And I thought I was the closest to her in friendship, too. But she left me. She didn't try to talk to me. She didn't see if I could help. She abandoned me to pick up her broken pieces, and that is a heart-crushing thing to do. It's not fair. It's not fair that I'm here and she's not, and I have to carry this burden alone. I could always help you join her. That... that's not what I meant. I'm not like her. I wouldn't abandon everyone. Dracula leans out of the darkness, his face illuminated by the light of Elaine's phone. Take a look in the mirror, Elaine. I'd do it for you, but I can't. Elaine looks away, unable to meet his gaze. She stands, careful not to look up, and exits the closet. Hemingway is lying down on Elaine's bed, staring at the ceiling. Freud is sitting, facing him from a chair in the corner. So you're saying that you think my hypermasculinity stems from a childhood competition with my father over my mother? 
I'm not saying I think that. I'm saying that this is definitely the case. But don't be offended. This is almost always the case with heterosexual males and their fathers. Hemingway leaps to his feet. Get yourself ready for a bout of fisticuffs, Freud, because I'm not going to hold back. Save it for the bars, Ernest. Bars? Does that mean we're going to... No. Elaine steps between them over to her desk. Her laptop sits closed on top. She sits down and opens it up. So, we're just going to stay here the whole day. Yes. Well, I am. You can do whatever you want. May I suggest we all take a hiatus for now? I'm afraid some of the repressions from your nightmares may accidentally slip into your writing. And you've only slept six hours in the last three days. I don't have time for a hiatus. Dracula emerges from the closet and lurks in the corner. I suggest you work things out with Chelsea. Your emotions toward your recent quarrel will feed on you like a parasite. Really? Dracula? Since when have you been the epitome of moral judgments? I'm worried about a big charismatic parasite that feeds off of young women. Excuse me for putting my emotions and personal problems aside. This isn't just your problem anymore, Elaine. It's Chelsea's, too. And Sarah's, and every other girl he has assaulted, and every other girl he will. What is she talking about? Honestly, I've no idea where that came from. You've dragged Chelsea into your flames, and now you're leaving her on the back burner. You know she would put you first. Elaine lets out an exasperated sigh, grabs her laptop, and exits into the living room, slamming the door behind her. She walks over to the kitchen and leans against the counter. She begins to cry. Picasso observes Lita's painting in the living room behind her. It's a protest, an attempt to encapsulate a frustration that shouting, violence, and cries for help cannot articulate. Yeah, it's a protest of the fact that she got raped and nobody gave a damn. I would say that's a good thing to be frustrated about. And putting it that lightly is an injustice in itself. I remember when Guernica was put on display. It was such a powerful outcry that people would come to it and break down, even if they did not know what it was about. You too, huh? Making everything about you. Sounds a little like someone else I know, Amor. Elaine shoots him a look. Melinda, art is supposed to connect us to personal emotions we forgot we had, or never had, even if we don't fully understand it. This piece makes me want to break down myself in a way. Not because it involves a piece of my own art, but because it moves me, like Guernica moves people, even in the dark. But nobody else has even cared enough to look at it, much less question the administration. The people powerful enough to enact changes are the ones who caused the pain behind this work to begin with. That's why you need to pull them in. Let them see the suffering. Let them see the beauty. Let them gaze at the work long enough that their emotion transcends any truth they thought they knew. What about the facts? If they feel the art, they'll want to hear the facts. You must find a way to marry the two. Then you will have created your own masterpiece. I should set you up with Sherlock. I was not a homosexual. Everyone assumes I was a homosexual. Elaine walks over to observe the painting with Picasso. It was too much, and it killed her. You can feel it. It kills me. That's why he's art.
Hours later, Elaine works on her laptop while Picasso observes Lita's painting. Sherlock Holmes quietly walks up to stand next to Picasso and partake in the observation. He puffs his pipe a few times in deep concentration. Oh, what is that odor? Holmes. I'm sorry? Sherlock Holmes. Where do you see that in this painting? No, I mean the real... Elaine stops to ponder Picasso's failed recognition of Sherlock. Sherlock stands still in observation of the painting while puffing up a thick cloud of smoke. You mean you can't see him? Elaine, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I just... Some things aren't making any sense at the moment. Are you talking about your research? No. I, I mean, yes. Keep in mind that you can connect with people on this project in a very real way. You could kill them just like this painting kills you. I hope I do. Well, I have a meeting with an old friend. I shall leave you to your brainstorming. Picasso walks into Elaine's room and out of her sight. Elaine and Sherlock are left in silence. Elaine leaves her laptop to stand beside Sherlock, who is still contemplating the picture. Well? <laughs> I think I rather like this quiet version of you. Sherlock continues to smoke his pipe and look at the painting with intensity. All right, I lied. Say something. Sherlock walks over to the couch and sits back with his legs crossed. He stares at the far wall and continues to puff on his pipe. Elaine stands there watching him, dumbfounded and awkward. Hello? Oh, sorry, Elaine. I hardly noticed you there. I am right next to you. That may be so, but your presence wasn't of importance at the time. Why can't Picasso see you? And why can't Ernest and Sigmund see Dracula? Sherlock springs up from the couch. Good God! Dracula, did you say? What about that vile creature? That damnable character isn't on the loose. Well, he was, but you haven't answered my question. Hmm. Well? Well what? Why can't anyone see you and Dracula besides me? You can see Dracula right now? Where? This is hopeless. Elaine, you don't look well. Is something the matter? So now you turn this around on me. From my understanding, you've been exiled by your best friend and colleagues. I was not exiled. There was just a conflict of interests. I see. But you're used to this state of solitude, correct? I mean, I'm usually alone. But I always had someone to go to. It used to be two. Elaine stares hard at Lita's painting. Then it was one. She checks her phone and sees no new messages. And now it's... Well, I do fine by myself. Always have. Do you mind if I use that vase there on the coffee table? Sherlock walks over to the vase. For what? Wait, no! He begins tapping his ashes into it. Sorry, you should have spoken sooner. Now, where did I put that damn tobacco? You're going to kill my flowers, you know. Oh, no, I'm sure I just provided them with some sort of alternative nutrition. He spots his tobacco back on the couch. Ah, there we are. Well, Elaine, I usually do pretty well by myself like you. Always have. Except Watson did everything of consequence for you. Sherlock smiles. Good chap, that Watson. Sherlock paces around the room. Quite frequently, I find myself alone. People are so loud, you see. With their thoughts and their opinions and their habits and their desires. 
I quite prefer seclusion. I prefer books. And I don't find anything wrong with that. I get lost in my books as well. And my research. Sometimes I don't even notice I need Watson until he shows up. Elaine stands up. I like being alone. There's a big difference between being alone and being lonely. She crosses her arms across her chest. Elaine, you look much different from the last I saw you. Your eyes have a deeper sadness. Your posture lacks any indication of excitement. And you seem to be deprived of sleep. Honestly, I'm fine. As soon as I'm done with this thesis, I'll get back up to speed. It's a lot of stress, but I can handle it. Elaine, where's your Watson? Furious with me. Holmes blows out a ring of smoke, then stands up to walk over and observe the painting again. Elaine walks over to stand next to Holmes and joins in his observation. They reflect in silence for a while. What I'm about to do, everything that I've been doing, it could all be pointless. It could all be in vain. It's like David and Goliath. Which one is Goliath? Dean Wagner. Are you sure about that? Well, who else would it be? Look at the painting right in front of you, the reason for all of this. Look past the painting and past your personal experience with it. What does that even mean? How much do you know about me, Elaine? Quite a bit, actually. Then I'm sure you've seen the way I go about things. I don't solve mysteries and bring people to justice due to my personal investments in a particular mystery. That's because people hire you. Your personal investment leads to financial benefit. This is true, and I do get some sort of thrill out of it. But I also take comfort in the idea that I prevented a future problem as well as served a purpose in justice. That's what I'm trying to do. Yes, and that's admirable. But don't you think some of your personal investment may limit some of your potential? My personal investment is the only thing keeping me going. I want justice for Lita. That's it. End of story. And that mentality is preventing you from pursuing your goal with complete lucidity. Do you see that in the painting? What? Look at those strokes that form the head of the figure there. Less defined than the rest. As if she still took care in each movement, yet couldn't quite control them. The face was probably the part of the image she most associated with her nightmare. Finishing it must have been agony. Then there's that abnormal stroke there in the wood grain of the table. She must have broken down mid-brush. I can't look at this anymore. Elaine hears a thud from her bedroom. Lovely. What now? Elaine walks over and opens the door to her room. Hemingway backs Freud into a corner. Hemingway has his hands in fists, while Freud backs up with palms extended in an attempt to reason with his oncoming aggressor. Put him up, Sigmund! Dracula stands in front of a mirror, trying to discern some hint of a reflection. Elaine, come here and tell me what you see. What the hell is going on here? Dracula shrugs. What's with them? They don't seem to take any notice of me. No shit, Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes pokes his head into the room. Yes? No! Not that I care if Hemingway notices me anyway. The sun also rises. Don't remind me. Hemingway takes a mock jab at Freud, barely missing his face. You will rue the day, Freud. But think about why you are reacting this way, Ernest. I must have struck a subconscious nerve. Keep digging yourself deeper. Stop! Now! Sherlock steps fully into the room and looks at Dracula, startled. Dracula? 
Sherlock Holmes? Dear God, Elaine, why did you let that tragic thing in here? What is he talking about? He's talking about you. Well, I never. Freud looks to Elaine, pleading. Elaine, please stop talking to the air and help me. Leave her alone. You've done enough psychoanalysis for one day. Be gone, vile creature. Creature? I've appeared in far more films than you, mortal. Holmes, stop judging the undead. Dracula, relax. Elaine, help, please. Hemingway rolls his eyes. Focus on the problem at hand. I can't do this. It's time to meet your maker, Sherlock. My maker is dead and in the ground in Minstead, England. All of you, just stop. Ernest, let's think about this for a moment. I've been done thinking about this for a while. Fight back, Sigmund. All of you, just stop right now. Elaine rushes into her bathroom. She slams the door closed and locks it. She sits down on the toilet cover with her head in her hands. After an hour, the bedroom beyond the locked door is finally quiet. Elaine tries to relax in the cramped bathroom. She spends the next hour on her phone scrolling back through old messages from Chelsea. A knock at the door. Leave me alone. Elaine, don't run from your problems. Oh, it's you. I wasn't running. I was just taking a break. Can you let me in? Depends. Is the coast clear? I scared them off for the time being. All right. Elaine gets up to unlock the door. She opens it up and Frida steps in. Elaine closes the door and locks it again. You don't actually think they'll come in. It just gives me some peace of mind. Darling, I'm here. Doesn't that give you some peace of mind? You have no idea. I saw our mutual friend recently, and he told me we had some similar takes on Lita's painting. Yes, I guess Picasso tried to be encouraging, but I still don't think I can live up to anyone's expectations with my project. Not my own, at least. I can't help but think that I'm doing everything wrong, that I'm doing injustice to Lita's memory. Frida hesitates. Elaine, you are your own worst critic. That's why we are here. To give you fresh eyes. I don't even think I'm being too critical. I think I'm just being honest. All of the love that's in my life is crumbling around me. I try not to let it affect my work, but... The bows of our love tie together the broken pieces of our art. The artist should not try to separate them. Elaine nods slowly. Maybe that's why I feel stagnant. Helpless. Like I'm watching the problems of my own life accelerate past me toward a cliff I can't even see. Frida gets up and looks at Elaine through the bathroom mirror. My life fell apart when I was just a little bit younger than you. The bus accident? Frida turns around to face Elaine. I spent three months hospitalized, and I still wasn't fully recovered. I suffered from it the rest of my life in ways that most people couldn't comprehend. But... I made my art. I raised my voice, and for the most part, it was heard. I'm afraid mine will drown. Just another piece of paper in a slush pile of unheard voices carelessly crammed at the back of an old filing cabinet. Just the idea of that. The idea that it's a possibility. Well, it's debilitating. But if you succeed, you allow for all of the other voices to be heard as well. So-called complaints that lie in the dark suddenly crawl into the light, 
transformed into human beings with visible hurt. It's Wagner, though. He's... he's invincible or something. I can't even get a read on the guy like he's some sort of sociopath. I have no idea how to predict how he'll react to my research. No one ever knows how the world will respond to her work. Does it mean it should never be produced? If everyone refrained in publicizing how they viewed the world, especially after they second-guessed themselves, humanity would never progress. How you view the world is true. I honestly don't think it's a problem that can be solved. You don't need to solve the problem. What's important is to bring attention to it. We don't fight so we can win. We fight even though we are going to lose. Because we are going to lose. I don't know. It's unsettling to think about it. Failure. Another knock at the door. Elaine and Frida stop their conversation and look towards the door. Ding dong. You should know better than to interrupt two women talking in the bathroom, Pablo. Ah, Frida, you're in there too. Why don't you let an old friend in? I might be of some help. You know that's not up to me. Elaine? Yeah, sure. At least neither of you tried to kill the other yet. Elaine unlocks the door. She opens it to let Picasso inside, and before closing it again, pokes her head through the doorway and peers around her bedroom. Don't worry. I made sure to convince everyone to stay out of this for now. Elaine closes the door again and locks it. Including Sherlock Holmes and Dracula? What on earth are you talking about? That's what I'm worried about. Elaine looks at herself in the mirror. She furrows her eyebrows. Have you made any progress with Chelsea since we last talked? Yes, Pablo. That question has direction. No, I haven't talked to her yet. I've been too preoccupied. You shouldn't let something like that fester. I already talked about this with... I've already discussed this with someone. I have work to do. I don't have time to fix things right now. I need to finish a thesis that I'm currently having second thoughts on, and I wasted most of the day. Elaine, do you have anyone to go to? I've already gone through this. I'm fine. I'll figure it out after the thesis. Why am I being interrogated right now? Your work won't be as effective if there are other distractions. There will always be other distractions. None of them are worth putting off. I made my best work when I bit the bullet and stopped making excuses. Nothing on the back burner, everything out in the open. Elaine turns away from Frida and Picasso. I've already made up my mind. If you follow through with your project and things start going south, where will you find any help? I'll just have to figure it out on my own, like I always have. You've always had help in the past. That's not necessarily true. You've always had Chelsea and Lita, even when you were pushing them away. I've never... Elaine starts to choke up. Regardless of the situation, you've always had one or the other. I'm starting to feel claustrophobic in here. People need people. That's just how humans are. We suffer together as we go along. Jesus, Lita didn't suffer with anyone. But seeing how you take anguish in her suffering, she would have. Easy, Pablo. So now it's Lita's fault that she didn't come to me? It wasn't supposed to sound like that. But it did. It sounded exactly like that. I'm going to be sick. Elaine, he just meant to say everyone has someone. 
whether they know it or not. It's good to appreciate that fact. That's it. I'm out. Elaine attempts to exit the bathroom in a panic. She grasps the doorknob and struggles with the lock before she finally gets the door open. Elaine walks over to her bed and falls back onto it. She shields her eyes with a hand and clenches the bedspread with the other. Frida and Picasso follow her into the bedroom and wait in silence. They remain still for a long time as the day's light starts to ebb. Sometimes I can see how obsessive I've become. I can see a sliver of how much I push people away. But then I forget about it, because I never think other people will care. Why would they care? Your friends understand more than you think, Elaine. They're loyal to you. And your actions affect more people than just you. But why? Why would anyone want to be loyal to me? Why don't they save themselves and get out of my life once I push them away? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're making excuses. If you can see the faults of your own behavior, perhaps you should change it, instead of blaming others who want to stick by your side. What he's saying is your friends know that you need someone. Everybody needs someone. But I'm no one's someone. Because I don't want to be. I just don't... I don't want to be bothered. And I don't want to drag Chelsea into this. She doesn't deserve to have to put up with all of this. They don't define it as you dragging them into anything. It's unfair to reject someone who's just trying to be there. They're waiting for you to give them smoke signals, but instead you want to die slowly on your own isolated island, or, in this case, apartment. I... Elaine raises her hand, then drops it as a punch to the bed. I know you're right. Elaine stands up and starts over to her bedroom door. Where are you going? To do something I've never done before. Something Chelsea would never expect. Something that will make me feel vulnerable, but something I know that will be worth it. And that is? Elaine takes a deep breath. I'm going to bake her a cake. You dog. Elaine is in her kitchen, surrounded by far too many bowls, measuring cups, and spatulas. More than it should take to make a cake. As she waits for the cake to bake in the oven, she looks at her phone in anticipation of a response from Chelsea. She still has no unread messages. She shakes her head and puts her phone back into her pocket. Stop looking at your phone every five seconds. Elaine walks over to the sliding glass door of the balcony and puts her hand on the glass. She looks down at the street in silence. A glass clinks behind her. She turns around to see Rosalind Franklin, wearing a lab coat and safety goggles, in the kitchen observing her measuring cups and teaspoons. Who are you? Rosalind, dear. You know, these measuring instruments are most likely extremely inaccurate. Actually, they positively are. I'm sure of it. Rosalind? Franklin. I guess you can't get killed by making miscalculations and baking a cake now, can you? I've heard of you. You discovered... Um... But you can't get into some danger trying to undermine a man with authority in an institution that perpetuates a common hierarchy. The, the structure of DNA. In fact, you can't actually get yourself into some danger, and even killed, in my case, for just working for them. Yes, that is how I discovered the structure of DNA. Got my data stolen, 
and then died from radioactive poisoning due to the precariousness of the job. Jesus. Oh, it's all under the bridge now. Is it? No, but I'm dead, so there's nothing I can do about it. I didn't even want that damned Nobel Prize anyway. That's somewhat surprising. Not really. It seems that if you're trying to be great, you won't ever really get anything done. There's a greater purpose that drives a person's work than self-gratification. Yes, but it's always nice to be rewarded for hard work. No, it's always nice to do hard work in something you enjoy, and then see other people be rewarded for it. You're actually cool with Watson and Crick taking praise for your discovery? No, I didn't mean it in that way. Think bigger. You mean how everyone was rewarded for your discovery in the progression of science? Correct. But you can't deny that it would have been slightly satisfying to be recognized. I can think of a few people who were absolutely brilliant and cared more for their work than for being recognized. Van Gogh, Emily Dickinson, Nikola Tesla... Elaine looks around the room in worry. Thank God they haven't shown up too. Don't worry. You're safe for the time being. So we're having more company? I'm sorry to say, but I'm expecting some real company later. Party of one, so I can't be having any more people over. Particularly those of the dead or fictional variety. This is the one person who deserves complete composure. Oh, it won't be too much longer, and I'd expect you'll be excited for her as well. And who's that? Joan of Arc? I'm assuming she won't be fictitious since you seem to have some sense that she'll be here. What's that? <sighs> Never mind. How are you going to take care of this project of yours? I don't know. I guess I'm just going to do more research, bust it out, then hope for the best. And the best is? The best is that sociopath burns for the way he treats people. I don't think that's a wise approach. Oh yeah? And why not? Didn't you listen to what I said earlier? Yes, but it doesn't mean I can't be stubborn about it. It's not supposed to be about revenge. It's not supposed to be about yourself. It's supposed to be about the bigger picture. Or else you'll suffocate the potential of your work. So what do you suggest I do then? You know why he's in the position he's in, and you know why he's able to get away with it. You know that there's something there, like I did. I just managed to take a snapshot of it. A quick view that led to much, much more. So I need to take a snapshot of people like him. Expose these types of people and how they are able to do what they do? Very close. Think DNA. The... The structure. Why the system works the way it does. Exactly. If people start to see what it is, they can investigate it more and more until, as in the case of DNA, they understand the genome in its entirety. That makes sense. I feel like I knew this all along, though. Quite right, dear. And now I must take my leave. Someone you are waiting to see will be here any moment. Franklin disappears into Elaine's bedroom. Elaine walks over to the oven and opens it to a mostly baked cake. The room fills with the scent, and a wave of heat washes over her face. She closes the oven door and stands. She freezes as she sees someone out on the balcony. Lita? Lita, her back to Elaine, observes the sunset over the balcony. Elaine slowly begins to walk towards the balcony door. Lita turns to meet Elaine's gaze. She gives Elaine a half-smile and beckons her outside. 
Elaine moves slowly, cautiously. She reaches the door and gently slides it open. Lita. Elaine. Elaine begins to tear up. I'm... I'm so sorry. I should have stayed that night. I should have been there. I should have looked on the balcony when I got home. I should have... Elaine, none of this was your fault. Are you really going to ignore everything they said to you today? I I can't. Lita slaps her. Get over yourself. Elaine touches her face. All right, asshole, you didn't have to hit me. Sorry, felt right at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I've missed you so much. It shows. You don't look so hot. I'm trying really hard. Something needs to be done, and I'm trying to do something. So that what happened to you... Don't focus too much on the memory of me. But you're the reason I decided to pick the topic that I did. I'm part of the reason. You're the whole reason. Elaine, you see something that most people either can't see or tend to ignore. I just gave you a reason to address it. I know, and I'm trying. But you can't address it if you keep hanging on to me. I'm not trying to. It's just that you're my direct connection to the atrocities of the scumbag. It's hard not to think of that. Focus on all of the people that have been affected by this. Your students, their friends, their families, your family. You need to get past just me. And also, think about Chelsea. I'm going to make it up to her. You need to make room for other people as well. You know, it's almost easier for you to only hang on to me because then you can block yourself off from other people. Then you can bury yourself in pity when you think you're disappointing me. But you know it's not only about that. I know, I know. Lita? Yeah? I'm so sorry. I am too. A car alarm goes off somewhere down the street. It startles Elaine and she looks down to see where it's coming from. She looks back up, and Lita is gone. Elaine looks sadly over the city. A loud alarm from inside the apartment shakes her from her reverie. She whirls around and sees the kitchen filled with smoke. The smoke detector blares. Damn it, the cake! Mental health conditions are real, common, and treatable. If you or a loved one are noticing signs or symptoms of a mental health condition, Mental Health America can help. MHA has free confidential screening tools and other information at www.mentalhealthamerica.net. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Joey Ferber, Jenna Gomes, Cece Hutton, Avery Huddle, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Sound engineer, Dan Seavers. Script editors, Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Script supervisors, Cece Hutton, Grace Poppy. Theme song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortison. Unwritten was recorded at Megafauna Sound. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This episode of Unwritten was brought to you by Handcrafted Imports, whose mission is to change lives through art. 
Handcrafted Imports brings the awesome beauty and creativity of talented artists from South Africa to your doorstep in the U.S. When you purchase from Handcrafted Imports, you not only will bring an exquisite work of art into your home, you will improve lives in the economy of South Africa. Every artist Handcrafted Imports works with practices fair trade and provides a fair wage and important training to their staff. You may view and purchase the handcrafted unique ceramics by visiting handcraftedimports.com. On the next episode of Unwritten... Elaine has no idea what she's dealing with. August looks at her, drunkenly confused. Um, who dealing with? I mean, <clears throat> Elaine dealing with who? Or, or is it whom? Look, I think you should go. It's not a good time. My presentation is so close. Can we talk again soon? Are you going to ignore me again? I don't want to force myself into your life. I've actually been meaning to invite you to my presentation. I think you might really get a lot out of it. Gerald smiles, as if he's caught on to some kind of game she's playing. I'm sure I would.